Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. My name is Ryan Cabrera, and I'm your co-host, and I'm here in Studio B, joined joined again by Pastor Nick Plummer. Here, speak into the mic there. Oh, yeah, yeah, the mic. Oh, yeah, I feel the anointing. He hasn't been here for a week. No, what's just, this? You know, what is this? Oh. What is this? This isn't a steering wheel. <laughs> So we, uh, yeah, so I had to do the podcast all by myself last week. And it was I was good. I, wa- I watched it. I, I, pr- I appreciate that you liked it. I, 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 we had the table turned around yeah. and the background, the lights, yeah. and just you facing the camera. I was just lonely. Just like you, a, know? Uh, like you were some kind of ambassador or something. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Ambassador of Christ. Amen. I am an ambassador like a, of Christ. Like a news anchor. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because everyone who believes on Jesus is by default an ambassador you for Christ. You do represent Christ. And here's the issue with you might that. You want to do the best you can. Are you a good ambassador or not? Are you? Are you a good ambassador for, for Christ? So welcome to Christians with Torah. Obviously, as you can tell by the name, we are Christians and we believe that the Torah is relevant, relevant for, for today. today. Amen. That's Amen. Right. You know, it's funny. I've been having a lot of conversations with people about being under the law lately. You know, and what that means and things like that. So, uh, I don't know, I think I'm going to have to put something together to just, like, explain some of these things that people just take out of context well, and stuff. Well, it's know? true. When you say, hey, I'm not under the law, that means you're not violating it. Well, right, because if the opposite of being under yeah. the law is being under grace. So you can't get me because I'm not under the law. Right. I'm not violating it. Or or I no longer am uh, susceptible to the penalty Right or the curse of the law because Yeshua took the that's curse true, the stoning. on my behalf. That's a good point to be. Why are oh, we stoning? Listen, I've got yeah. my own rock pile outside. <laughs> you but mean, I mean, I'm you just, mean the ones that you had to put down? <laughs> oh, my own rock pile for my own personal life. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, I'm not throwing a stone. Yeah, no, no. I'm with so you I think there. that's one of the things that we can rejoice over. Oh, hallelujah! That we don't receive the capital punishment. Oh man. I we mean, have forgiveness. Absolutely. If we so choose. Yeah, there's no stoning for not keeping right. the Sabbath or anything like that. Why? Because Yeshua took our sins upon himself. Amen. All right, so a couple announcements. We are in our post-Shavuot season until June 20th when we hit the I summer guess, months. I uh, we could do that, yeah. <laughs> Listen to you. <laughs> and then uh, we have uh, this coming month, we have Aaron Lipkin from Lipkin Tours. He's um, the company that we use for... Uh, going to Israel for our tours here at Beit Tehillah is Lipkin Tours, and he is the owner of Lipkin Tours. That's right, Aaron Lipkin. His dad's Avi. Avi Lipkin. We've known Avi since the um, since the nineties. Since the middle middle nineties, I think. Yeah, mid nineties. Avi's been around for a long time. A lot of he people. He said in the living room right over here at twelve hundred Lithia Pinecrest Road, where I live. He said terrorism is coming to America, and then it did, and then it did. Yeah. No, he's been. Uh, He's he's very astute. Um, one of the things about Avi's his wife is uh, in intelligence with Israel was for thirty years and listening in, uh, to the Arab media and translating it. And so because of that, she just has a lot of information. Right. And so he's able to make some predictions that came true. You know, very interesting. Fortunate or unfortunate. That's it. So, but the twenty seventh, which is a Sunday, he's going to be doing a mini Israel conference teaching on uh, Israel past, present, and future. That's right. And that'll start at ten thirty on Sunday morning, and it'll go until five p.m. And so we're going to have a box lunch. I think we're live streaming. 
we may live stream it, but if you are local, we, um, we're going to have a box lunch provided for those that register ahead of right. time. Bag lunch. Bag lunch, box lunch. Comes boxes, in a bag. Boxes are nice. Box bags. Bags are more convenient. You're going to get lunch of some sort. This is true. If you register Keep ahead of time and, and show up, then that's the two qualifications. And then on the 28th, which is uh, the Monday, he's yeah. going to be here at our tour study on Monday night. And I heard he's going to share the Torah portion. And he's going to share the Torah portion. That's going to be kind of cool. I know. I'm so excited about it. Judah and Ephraim. When Ephraim and Judah come together. This. this is unbelievable. And then we had Nadi last week. I know. And it, listen, if you didn't watch the interview with Nadi yet, go watch the interview with Nadi. So he's allowing that to go on the record. What? That's public. Yeah, yeah. To the public. Yes, it is to the public. Absolutely. I mean, it's this out there. This is an there. Orthodox Jew with a Christian with Torah. That's right. Doing a podcast. And he says he loves the Hebrew roots people. So he was telling me that, you know, those are the people that he wants. You know, he says he loves people that love Israel and want to support That's Israel. That's true. That's, That's true. his thing, right? That's what we need right now. So um, we even talked about it. You know, like we have differences, right? But why focus on our differences when we could focus on what we could do together? That's it. For, you know, for God. Amen. Let's do it. So, all right. So we're here today because, you know, we try to study the Torah portions every week. And this right. is a Torah portion podcast. So I say we talk about. The Torah portion. So, the Torah portion this week is Chukat, which means ordinance or ordinance of. It is the Torah portion found in the book of Numbers, starting in chapter 19 and verse 1, and ending in chapter 22 and verse 1. And just a little reminder, as we are in chapters 19, um, 20, and 21, and one verse in 22, we are still uh, in this book, Journey to God's Restland, Numbers. Three key words that are found in the book of Numbers is service, war, and wilderness. Uh, what's interesting is this book is broken up into three parts. We have at Sinai. This is the preparation for the journey. This takes place within just a few weeks, chapters 1 through 9. We've completed that. Now we're moving towards chapter 10, verse 11, all the way through chapter 21 and verse 4 to Moab. This is the journey, about 39 years, 42 encampments, right? So the third and last and final part is, of course, uh, at Moab, uh, chapter 22 and verse 2, all the way through, of course, chapter 36. This is at Moab, at the gate to the land. Yep, the gate to the land. And this only takes place within a few months, and Mount Nebo is the geographical area. Which I'm praying that this is where we are prophetically, at the I, gate to I the land. I think there's there's something going on. We have a... You know, we can get into all that later about the prime ministers versus the judges, but that's a podcast. That's right. Know, we so. do have a new prime so, minister in Israel. So, yeah. So let's jump into, Ryan's going to head us off here with uh, numbers, uh, ashes of the red heifer. We're not going to do any reading. Oh. We're just going to hit the purification process of the red heifer, what it represents, yep. and jump right into that. And Ryan's going to lead us. That's right. So the ashes of the red heifer, very mysterious topic. It is. Very, um, there's little types and shadows built into this this process. Um and so they would take a red heifer, right? And the red heifer that they found had to be a special one, right? It had to be a unique one. And there were three qualifications for the red heifer. What were those three qualifications? Uh, without spot, no blemish, and never had a yoke. So I have, you know, I think that the traditional interpretation of this, not having a spot, meaning it had to be completely red. So there's That's a good point. I was just writing it down. All the hair has to be red. Right. So there's... Um, there's tons of heifers out there that are red, right? But it can't have the spot. So, like, if it has a white spot, you know how you see them that are multicolored? Maybe they have it on oh, their yeah. chest or on the bridge of their nose, right? Yeah. Disqualified, right? It has to be completely red. So it also has to have no blemish. 
so nothing wrong with it, no um, no defects, no cuts, you know, nothing like that. And then also never having a yoke, right? That's right. So it had a certain duty. It was set apart for that one duty, and so you were never to use it for any and other purpose. It. And they did. They did. They raised these red heifers, and they used them specifically That's for That's got to be something supernatural. So then, obviously... It's the ashes of the red heifer that are going to be used. In so, water, yeah. So, well, but but the, the heifer has to die. So right. they're going to slay the heifer, but where do they do this? Without the camp. Right. So they couldn't do it inside the camp. They had to do it outside of the camp. And so this is, uh, we're going to get into a little bit more details about that later. Yeah, this whole, let's see, this, yeah, this, this whole chapter is all about purification. Right, exactly right. And so you take... Um, you take the heifer outside the camp, you're going to slay it there, and then there's a whole ceremonial process that we're going to go through um, with this. And so it says here in chapter 19 and verse 4, And Eleazar the priest shall take of her blood with his finger and sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. All right? So he takes the blood and he sprinkles it before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. And so um, now... In order to then burn the the red heifer, right? They mix some ingredients in there. So, what three things were added while burning of the red heifer took place? There's three ingredients: cedarwood, hyssop, and scarlet. Got it. So, cedarwood and hyssop. Uh, Pastor Nick, some of you guys know, maybe you don't. He actually diffuses cedarwood and hyssop out here. Yeah, all aromatherapy. The time. Uh, is cedarwood and hyssop. It, it, cedarwood and hyssop, it clears your mind and it's calming. Yeah. So that's the qualities. And so just to reiterate, people think aromatherapy is new age. Yeah. You've heard of like eucalyptus helps to clear your sinuses. Yeah, and breathing. yeah. Lavender is a calming yeah. aromatherapy. So when you start mixing these things, it's really quite fascinating because smelling is the highest form of learning. Mm. So when they built the temple... And they had the cedar wood, and they had, of course, the burnt offerings and the barbecue going. Yeah. You know, when we were on vacation in Washington, D.C., and the, all these food trucks and restaurants, and you just got whiffs of all kinds of food. And yeah. Went to this one market. I'm like, I'm, I'm in the third heaven, you know. Yeah. And so uh, cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet. Yeah. So I understand the cedar wood. I understand the hyssop. Where I think I was getting lost was on the scarlet, right? So, um, you know, when you think of dyes and things like that and the colors that they mention, this scarlet is a specific color, right? So just like the blue, when they talk about the tzitzitz a couple Torah portions yeah, ago, true. it's not the color blue as you would traditionally say it. It's a specific blue called techelet, right? Because there's another word for blue in Hebrew that right. represents our normal blue. So this scarlet is a specific scarlet. And I believe that what they're using is the dye. I don't know if this is the dye in powder form or if this is the dye in liquid form. But I was thinking, I wonder if when they put the red heifer and they put the um, the cedar wood and the hyssop, right? We're making a nice fire out of this to make some ash. I wonder if when they threw this scarlet in there, I wonder if it changed the color of the flame at all and maybe gave it like a red flame. You know, in, in Isaiah 118, I was in my living room in my apartment years ago, like back in 93. Yeah. 1993. And so I was playing the guitar, singing songs, about writing some songs and stuff. I was inspired playing the guitar. Because my dad played the guitar in the guitar mass for the Catholic Church Nativity. But so in, in Isaiah 118, the Lord showed me this verse. Like he was, he was ministering to me. He said this, and this is right out of Isaiah 118. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Mm. Though your sins be as scarlet, 
they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So I wrote a song about that. I was inspired to write a song and put some chords to it. Hmm. Exactly just like it says. Come now and let us reason together. So, so as we look at the purification process, Ryan, between you and I, we have to understand how holy God is. Well, and think about this, right? Think about this. Um, if you have a white garment, even to this day, and you pour some scarlet dye on it, yeah, there's no getting that dye out. That's going to be a tough one. But what God is saying is that he has the power, especially through his son Jesus Christ and his blood, to take us from scarlet to white. Right? You know, and that's the whole thing, Ryan. To truly clean us. The ceremonial part of the law does two things. It, it slows us down. It causes us to think. Yeah. Now, yeah, we don't do these things anymore. But the problem is this whole purification process was, was God trying to show us how holy he is, and this is how you're going to approach me. Yeah. It's kind of like a backstage pass. Yeah. You're not going to go backstage unless you have this pass. Right. You're just not going to do it. Right. You know, and so with that, God has set up this whole thing for him. Right. Because this is who he is. Yeah. He's like, if you're going to come to me, you're made in my image. If you're going to come to me, this is what's required of you. Sure. And I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. You know, I was, I've been having, I mentioned uh, previously, I've been having some conversations with people about uh, the relevance of Torah and things like that to the, the Christian believer. And um, they had, somebody sent me, you know, like a teaching and the person in the teaching was splitting up the law into the moral law saying, this is relevant for today, right? That's good. And then the ceremonial law. It is good. And I, and, and it makes logical sense. It's not a scriptural argument because nowhere in the Torah does it say, this is the moral section. This is the ceremonial section. Um, but it does split it up into vertical commands, right? The mishpatim and the chokim, the horizontal commands, right? right. And I actually saw or heard a, um, a really good teaching by Eddie Chumney on the mishpatim and the chokim and how God, you know, because you'll hear in the Torah, right? You know, keep my commands, my statutes, and my judgments. And those different words that are used are used to kind of classify, right? And so the mishpatim, right? Those vertical commands, love God, right? And then the chokim, the horizontal commands, love your neighbor. So these vertical commands, uh, they make sense uh, a lot of times to God, but maybe not to us. Right. They don't necessarily have pragmatic value. Like the whole sacrificial system and the blood covenants. I mean, right. for us, we're like, huh? I mean, if you really think about it, does it does it make sense to us? No, but this is how God said. He said, I've given yeah. you the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. I give it to you on the altar. Adam and Eve sinned, covered yeah. himself with fig leaves. Right. He says, no, no, something has to die. Exactly. The body has to be given. Blood has to be shed. He he clothed them with coats of skin. Exactly. So, but then you have the things like restitution, and um, uh, you know the prohibition to murder, right? Which makes sense, right? From a how to love others standpoint, right? Don't murder them and right. make restitution when you break something. So, all that to say that, and whoever's doing this process, as you continue on, as we do this process, even the person doing it becomes unclean. Right. So the ceremonial piece of this, right? Is a um, is a big deal because it's an object lesson that God gives us to learn. A lot of things we don't really understand until we do them. Like the whole book of Ezekiel is all object lessons. God's giving right. us through His feast days, through His Torah, through these things that He's having us do. As you mentioned, to slow down and to think, they're object lessons. So that when we do them, it gets the information from here in our heads, right. the eighteen inches down into into our heart, into our spirit, so that we can really really understand. So so as you mentioned, uh, the priest who burnt the red heifer was considered to be unclean until the evening. Um, and the priest who gathered the ashes of the red heifer 
uh, was also considered unclean until evening. So, so I believe there's three parties here that are going to be unclean. It's the one who 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 uh, um, does the burnt offering, right? Burns it up. Yep. Then the one who collects the ashes. Yep. But then the one who's going to have to administer the process of the ashes of the red heifer water to a person. Yeah. Will be unclean. Yeah, and so uh, there's a. It's a pretty mysterious this whole red heifer thing. Trying to understand, you know, the purposes behind it. But what happens is uh, the purpose of the ashes of the red heifer was to be used for the ritual purification of a person who had come in contact with a dead body. That's right. And what's interesting, and I, I and there's going to be a lot of dead bodies. Oh, I, it, there's a whole generation that's yeah. going to die in the wilderness. Imagine, right? Imagine a, what is six hundred three thousand men at least. That's a lot of dead bodies in in forty years. I don't think I've you know could handle. I've just seen that's a lot of deaths. It's a lot of people dead. Six hundred three thousand, just the men. Because they're twenty and up, right? That's the census number. If you're nineteen, you're okay. Right, you make once, it. A, once the sentence nineteen was given. and three hundred sixty-four days. My birthday's right tomorrow, in. and he declares it. <laughs> yeah, Whew. yeah. If he declares, see, my birthday's Friday, so if he declares it today, I'm good to go. That's true. You know, it'd be good. Although I'm not under twenty anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you come in contact with a dead body, you become unclean, ritually. But let's be real, right? Dead bodies are unclean for a reason. <laughs> That's right. So I found this out last night. Um, I think Elaine mentioned it, Elaine and Rick. So I think Elaine mentioned it, that when you mix ashes and water, you get lye, which I guess truly is some sort of a substance that helps purify things and keep things clean. Interesting. So I'll have to do some more research on that, but I did hear that last night. Interesting. How long was a person unclean after they had touched a dead body? Seven days. So a whole seven days they would be unclean. Seven uh, means completion. And that's right. And they had to do this on the first day and on the third day. They can't skip a day. They have this process that they do it twice. And um, and if they didn't do it, what was the punishment for a person who touched a, a, touched a dead body and didn't become okay, purified? Okay, they shall be cut off from Israel. So they're excommunicated. We use that term in Catholicism. So then I have a question. That's How long were they cut off for until they decide to become clean <laughs> and I go mean, the process? I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. I think that maybe you're just cut off. Look, you're not going to do it. You got to go outside the camp. You know, just it comes to my mind that when a woman has her menstrual cycle, yes, for seven days, right. Now that's just the state of being. It's not yeah, a sin. of course. It's just telling you, hey, she's being purified. Yeah, something's happening naturally in her body. Well, and God gives a process to become clean right. after that. Just like in this process, it's not a sin to touch a dead body, right? You have a loved one that passes. You have to care for them respectfully. And that's why we have second Passover. Exactly right. <coughs> exactly right. And even then, they didn't do it right, and God healed them. <laughs> Exactly right. Yeah. So, um, so not only were the people be made unclean, but personal possessions had to be made clean if a dead body contaminated them, because people die inside tents or houses. That's right. People, you know, die touching things. Right. They're on stuff and things, That's and right. those things had to be um, ritually purified as well. And so, here's our big question: What is the one lesson that we can learn from the ceremonial law in regards to the ashes of the red? Oh, heifer? I want to read something. Can I read? Oh, of course. Okay. Are you kidding? Let's read Hebrews 13, 11 through 13. Hebrews 13, 11 through 13. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his 
reproach. So he even went through the purification process for us. That's right. Suffered, died, was buried yeah. so that we could be brought to the Father. It's really that simple. That's outstanding. You know, it's one thing to save us from death, right? Because if our punishment was death and then we stayed our execution, Dainu. But it would be enough. But he also went the extra mile to make us clean so that we could approach a holy and righteous God and have our prayers answered, even though we don't deserve it. So that, to me, yeah. is a big deal. So, so you know, there's a, they say that there's a guidelines and guardrails. Yes. That's what the Bible is. That, well, that's what the Torah so is. So I would say, as we read the Torah portion, what's the principle? Yeah. So that question is pretty good. Um, what is the one lesson that we can learn from the ceremonial law in regards to the ashes of the red heifer? I would say laws of purification teach us the holiness of God. You know, that's why I like the reverence of the Catholic mass, you know. Yeah. You come in, you dip your hand in the water, you do the cross, you come in, you stand, sit, you kneel. There's a whole liturgy of process. Yeah. Protocol. Yeah, but there's reverence. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, you just and that, went to Washington, D.C. Yeah. And you witnessed the changing of the guard of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, right? Yes. Okay. So a lot of people don't know this, but at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, the men that do it, right, they have to either be 5'10", 6 foot, or 6'2". They have to have a 30, 32, or 34-inch waist. They have to... Um, Those are some serious requirements. They have, I didn't know they that. Have, um, they wear a specific uniform, right? They step in a specific fashion. They make the exact same steps every single time. Everything down to the last detail is planned out. If it's raining, they stand in the rain. Um, they yeah. treat this like it is a holy You know, a hurricane was coming through place. The, the cemetery there. Yeah. Arlington national cemetery and the the soldiers were allowed to come in to get out of the weather yeah and they said no yeah we're going to do our duty yeah and you so know they withstood the hurricane and they changed the guard every hour right um but think about it we today we understand the changing of the guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier right we're trying to pay respect uh, to the people that fought and died and that we didn't even have their their remains to be able to identify them, right? To even know who they are, right? It's the unknown soldiers, the one who went out, paid the ultimate sacrifice, and we weren't even to bring them, give them a real respectful burial. And so think about how much more respect and honor and protocol should be given to the holiest God, right? Right. And the holiest place right. in the world. That's right. And protocol, so, yeah. And so the protocol, people put their nose up at the protocol and things like that, but we understand it when we look at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. How much more should we understand it when it comes to, you know, having respect for God in, uh, in that place? It's and amazing. It really is. You know, this world is just so dirty, Ryan. Yeah. Everything's filthy, Ryan. dirty. Even D.C. was dirty. Yuck, yuck, yeah. You know, I mean, of course, you know, they've just been through so much, but I'm just saying that you can just feel the filth. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking about the Revolution War. The, I was thinking about the you know, Revolutionary War. I was thinking about the Civil War and all these wars. Yeah. But I'll tell you, we're in a culture war. Oh, absolutely. And we have to make up our minds how we're going to fight. Yeah. You know, it, it says a good soldier doesn't get entangled with the affairs of this life. Yeah. Paul wrote Timothy that. We don't get entangled with the affairs of this life. That's right. No good soldier because the soldier knows what his battles are. That's right. So anyway, we're going to move on with uh, Moses and Aaron's sin. It's kind of interesting. We have laws of purification and Moses and Aaron's sin. Uh, who died in the desert of Zin in the first month? 
you know, Miriam, the oldest sister uh, of the three. Mo- if she was the, she the first was the, one. Miriam, yep. Aaron, and Moses. That's right. And so she passes away. She does. Um, Great matriarch. Now, this is chapter 20. So we're coming in on the tail end of 39 years. Yes. Just so you know. Yep. Uh, what were the people lacking when they came against Moses and Aaron? Water. Water. So even in a death, there's people complaining and murmuring. Man, I- I'll tell you what. It's amazing. When you go through the book of Numbers, like, I know we look at them and we talk about how they complain, but then, like, I go home and I listen to the different complaints complaints and things like that, even that I'm making. I had some of that on, on my trip. I bet. I bet. We just found out that somebody yeah. had died. Yeah. And I'm just, and I kind of was praying, my wife and I, about just talking about it a little bit. Yeah. And in the background, I got mumbling and grumbling. <laughs> there you go. And I was thinking... There's nothing new under the sun. No. There's nothing new under the sun. And what are they complaining about? I got to go to the bathroom. I have nothing to drink. I'm thirsty. Oh, I don't want pizza. Uh, exactly. You know. So um, after Moses and Aaron heard the people's complaint, they went to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell on their faces. They began, uh, you know, I'm going to write down intercession. I like this intercession. Oh, yeah. Again. Intercession. Yet again. You know, I was speaking with somebody. You know, here, here at Beit Tehila, the, the people make decisions, things happen. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't make the best decisions or whatever happens. Yeah. They didn't receive good counsel or whatever. But I would say that uh, I was talking with somebody about a situation. I said, well, we're going to intercede for them. We're going to pray. And we're going to be there for them. Yeah, amen. You know, not to be negative, not to be Lashon Hurrah. Yeah. But we all have a free will. We all have to make decisions. Oh, it's you too know. easy to to yeah. to revel in the in the the downfall of others. So you got to imagine what's going to happen here with Moses. So Moses was told to speak to the rock in order to get water, but he smote the rock twice instead. Now, this is what's interesting. If God tells you to do something, Ryan, and you don't do it, it's a sin. Imagine yeah. that. That's right. So what if you know? Uh, I decided. I remember one time. Um, we were on a trip to Israel, and the guy was asking me, are you planning on going on the Temple Mount today? And I prayed about it, and the Lord says, it's not good to go on the Temple Mount today because there were situations happening, stuff going on. It just wasn't a good day. Yeah. So I, I heard the Lord, and I told the tour guide. I said, listen, I've, I've been praying, and we're not doing the Temple Mount. He said, oh, thank you, because <laughs> it's pretty risky today that they're throwing rocks and some things, and yeah. somebody could get hurt. Sure. And you got some elderly people. Yeah. And, and not out of fear, but it was like it just wasn't right no, to No, it's a good decision. It's a good decision. So I'm only saying that because it's just like, you know, uh, at one time, God told Moses to strike the rock. So you need to yeah. remember this. Right. Speaking and striking are two different things. No, but th- so let me let me read these short verses here. This is this is a, a pivotal point because I think that Moses really gets the hammer brought down on him on this. Oh, I, listen, I would struck the rock, got out a jackhammer, <laughs> spit on it, kicked it, and then jumped up and down on so it. So I got some thoughts for you. So, so it says, and, and Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock and said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Right. So he's really making a spectacle out of this. It says, And Moses lifted up his hands, with his rod, and he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. So I found it interesting that even though he didn't do it the way God said he should do it, that God still provided the water from the rock. Yeah. Interesting. So it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not, to sanctify me 
in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore shall not, you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was not sanctified, in, and he was sanctified in them. I mean, I look at this and I feel bad for Moses for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is, not only did God send him on the mission to go get them and deliver them, and he's been through all this stuff, then he had to babysit them for 40 years, right? It's the close of 39 years. He, he was at his wit's end. In his mind. The end of my rope. Yep. In his mind, he's been babysitting them with the consolation of, look, I just need the rest of these people to die, and then get, I can go into the land. But remember what Elaine said in her little commentary. God said the only two people that are going to the land, remember? He did say that. He did. Caleb he never promised him, right? But I think Joshua. Aaron and Moses assumed. They assumed. They assumed. I said this before, and I'll say it again. If if you could find in the Bible where, where Moses was going to go into the promised land, and he was told and promised, I haven't found it. I haven't either. It's I'm not just there. saying, so he's the deliverer yeah. to bring him out of Egypt. So leadership is going to change from Levitical to Ephraimite. But God obviously knew that Moses had assumed this, which is why this is a punishment. You know, because he didn't tell him, he didn't promise it to him, but he knew that Moses wanted it, and he knew right. Moses assumed it. So then taking it away from Moses was a big deal. Yeah. So, I mean, I really feel for Moses here. Um, obviously, God had given him, hey, speak ye into the rock before their eyes. The whole point, I think, was for Moses to do this specific thing in front of the people. Oh, yeah. And then because he disrespected or dishonored God or um, misrepresented God, so to speak, in front of the people in a big way, I think this is the reason why the punishment was that they should not go so into So what was the, the punishment for Moses and Aaron because Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to it? That they don't get to go into the land. Now, here's a, a, a discussion, a question for discussion. Yeah. And I just want to share one thing. I'll turn over to you, but... Moses and Aaron did not sanctify the Lord in front of the children of Israel. Why is it so important for leadership to model good behavior and be a good example before the people? You know, uh, Paul Pickard is with a lot of pastors, and he, he's not a name dropper, but he, he comes into contact with a lot of pastors. Yeah. And, of course, uh, Linda Pickard's with him, and she gets to talk to the wives and things. So, um, And there's, there's just a lot of trouble. There's a lot of challenges. And so Paul was telling me this story about how this pastor got up in the pulpit and he was angry. And he told that congregation off. He was angry. And he got mad. And he just left the pulpit, left the service. And then the elders came. They talked to him and different things, you know. And so the following week, I guess, he gets in the pulpit to apologize and to ask for forgiveness. But he ends up becoming angry again <laughs> oh no and just storms yeah just upset mad yeah and never went back then that that's was, it that just like it. that just like that so you can hear these stories they're real these are real stories yeah you know so my thing is you know um anger is the word it's wrath thumos it's one of the 17 works of the flesh mm. matter of fact it says don't provoke your children to anger yeah you know, so so like you, we have to be careful. You know, I've gotten angry at my children. I had to apologize and ask for forgiveness. You know, because I went a little over the top. Sure, there. sure. But but yeah. So so, just like with murmuring, or anger, it'll get you nowhere. Yeah, murmuring especially. Murmuring and anger 
will get you nowhere. Because I think of murmuring not as like a a righteous complaint where like you bring something before somebody to shed light on it. Right. I think of murmuring as the Lashon Hara, like the type of complaining that has no purpose. Ungrateful. Ungrateful. Not, Ungrateful. Not productive. Right. Because there is constructive criticism. Correct. That's what I'm trying to express. So, yeah. So, uh, the children of Israel did not go through the land of Edom because they refused them passage through their border. So, now all these things are happening. They Think are. about all these events now. We just got over Korah. Yeah. Then you have a plague. Many die. Yeah. Okay, now we get into purification. God's trying to restart the whole thing again. Remember how I said there's a calamity? Now let's bring an offering. That's right. So, That's so a here pattern. it is. Now it's purification. Let's get back on track here. Who God is. Come on. Yeah. This is who God is, you know. Uh, and so what happens is, um, you know, uh, Miriam dies. Uh, people complain about the water. Yeah. Moses gets angry, strikes the rock. And now all of a sudden, um, they're needing some supplies and some things. But You know what's funny about, about leadership? Being a leader, by definition, means that people are following you. And the reason that leaders yeah. have to have good behavior is because people follow them. Right. And they do what they do. You gotta have a better temperament. So if you're not gonna be above reproach, the people are always gonna be just a little bit less than the leader, right? Whatever that characteristic is. Because they're the think of them as like a diluted form of the leader. You know what I mean? And so if they're a certain way, the leader, then the people are gonna have that characteristic as well by virtue of the fact that they're following you. You know, I just got done reading in this book about George Washington's cabinet. Yeah. Seriously, one of the requirements was they couldn't lose their temper. They had to have good temperament. Yeah, I, I like it. So, so that was one of the requirements, and uh, and so and, and they were good bookkeepers or journalists or they sure. kept logs of yeah. everything. But yeah, that was a requirement that George Washington required in his cabinet that you you could not be an angry person and be in his cabinet. Interesting. I know. I don't know if I would qualify. <laughs> Maybe he put me on probation. Uh, so, yeah, so all this stuff is happening now. Uh, it's happening quickly. You know, things are accelerating yeah. because they're getting ready to approach the gate of the land. That's right. So 39 years are coming to a close. And now we're going into part three right. with Balaam and Balak and all this other stuff, like the Holy Spirit versus the occult. Man. So who died on Mount Hor and how many days did they mourn for them? This is Aaron himself dies. And they mourned for him for a whole 30 days. 30 days they mourned for Aaron, Aaron, the middle child. You That's know? right. And uh, he had been through a lot. You know, he had been through a lot. And who was the successor to Aaron as high priest? Uh, so it's going to be Eliezer, his son. son Eliezer's son. Now, I want to read these verses real quick just because I think that they're, um, this is cool. I, and you know what? I, I just watched, for the first time, I've never seen the movie Black Panther. I don't, it's a Marvel comic movie. So I never watched it. Yeah. And there's a scene talking where they do chance for leadership. The successor. And it, exactly. And so it says here uh, in chapter 20, starting at verse 24, it says, Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, for he shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel, because ye rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son and bring them up unto Mount Hor. And strip Aaron of his garments, and put them upon Eleazar his son, and Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, and shall die there. And Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they went up into Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments, and put them upon Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there in the top of the mount, and Moses and Eleazar came down from the mount. And when all the congregation saw Aaron was dead, they mourned for Aaron thirty days, even all the house of Israel. Now, uh... 
obviously this is a big event because what happens here on this mountain is they literally take the symbols of the high priest, right? The bonnet, the, you know, the, the crest that says holy unto the Lord on his forehead, the ephah, the breastplate, uh, and all of this, and they transfer these things, these symbols of leadership of the high priest, over onto Eliezer, and now there is a, a symbol of succession happening, right? It's bestowing Absolutely. the mantle a of the high administration. priest. Exactly right. You know, they, they, why it's called the big kahuna. It's the high priest. Yeah, yeah. The big kahuna. The big kahuna. You know, just like Kathy's called the boss lady. Yeah, so yeah. Sarah's and, already given her a title. And of the boss she sure lady. is, isn't she? So, so yeah. So you know, it's interesting that chapters one through nine is at Mount Sinai. Yeah. Uh, chapters, of course, chapters ten, verse eleven through uh, chapter twenty-one, verse four, which we are currently in, moving towards, is of course uh, Mount Hor is involved here. Yeah. So we're going to be rapidly going to be going into towards Mount Nebo with Moses. Yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, that's interesting right there in and of itself. And uh, I'm going to let Ryan take it over from here. Uh, yeah, it's about to get interesting now. Yeah. yeah. So we're uh, Moses and Aaron, or I'm sorry, Eliezer and Aaron, or, pff, Eliezer and Moses come you, down from the Why don't the you read verses 1 through 8 in chapter 21? I can do it. Yeah, let's do that. You I can, can read it. that. So this is King Arid and then the Serpent of Brass. So there's a lot of things going on. You know, oh, it's funny yeah. how you got people mumbling, complaining, and the complaint department. The, yeah. You know, and then of course you've got all these responsibilities and decisions to make and opportunities. It's and like then even it's now. like, oh look, like right now we're dealing with that. There's mumbling, <laughs> some things going on. Oh yeah, but there's opportunities. There's war. Oh yeah, there's always a battle. Um, praise God that we have something to do. Amen. Oh my. Goodness. Boy, do we. <laughs> so it says here, starting in chapter 21 and verse 1. And when the king and when King Arad, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities, and they called the name of the place Hormah, Hormah meaning utter destruction. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom and the soul of the people which uh, was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Man, they do not learn. Sorry. <laughs> and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore, I hate snakes. It's serpents. We're talking fiery serpents. I'm thinking dragons. Right? I, just imagine. I don't know, man. I just, I hate snakes. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. Look Read verse nine. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So he's using the demonic realm to bring chastisement. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this sounds like dragons to me. When I hear fiery serpents, I think dragons. Yeah, that's what I was trying to tell my kids. There's no such thing as a good dragon. Yeah, dragons I don't know. are dragons. Oh yeah, like the. Yeah, oh, yeah, but yeah. she's a white witch. 
No. no. So for not a witch to live, she's still a witch. <laughs> a witch is a witch. Yeah, a witch is a witch. Um, All right, so who was the Canaanite king, and what did he do to Israel? King Aaron, who fought Israel and took some of them prisoners. So he took some of them prisoners. He came and he attacked and stole some people. Now, see, I believe it's because they were complaining and murmuring. Oh, no doubt that this so, is... So God's like, hey, your, your hedge is down. That's your right. Your protection is not as good as it could have been. Interesting, interesting. So... So then the question then is, what was Israel's response toward their enemy and their cities? They utterly destroyed them. They utterly destroyed them. Because Hormah, right, means utter destruction. Like Israel right now, they have uh, captives in Gaza. You know, Mm. people, even soldiers. So they're like hostages, supposedly. Israeli soldiers in Gaza? From my understanding, the Hamas has hostages. Oh, wow. So they're trying to validate the whole information of it all. Because remember when they got the one soldier back, they freed like a thousand prisoners. Wow. For that one soldier. Yeah. So there has to be some kind of a negotiation or something. But, you know, kidnapping is a violation of the Torah. It is. It's punishable by death. Yep. That's why this human trafficking, if you get caught, that's death. That's kidnapping. It is. If you look at the Torah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And that's Numbers chapter 21 and verse 5. So, you know, I, I want to say this. Going back, and we're going to get into these serpents and everything as well, but um, let me see here. Yeah, let me go ahead and hit this. This will be good. And we can follow up on the following page. You can close it out here. I, I want to make it perfectly clear to all the believers uh, of Yeshua listening to this podcast or watching. I want to make it very, very clear to everyone that if you take the book of Numbers and compile it into what do I need to do, it's these five things. Okay. So in Paul's letter to the church of Corinth, it actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this is the bonus package for a lot of you. He says this, and, and this is what he's saying. Um, now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So there's five tests. One is lust. Number two, neither ye be idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And that's the golden calf. So idolatry led to sexual immorality. And then, of course, sexual immorality will lead to idolatry at Bell right. or coming up here. So don't lust. Don't have idolatry. Number three. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. So our culture is full of sexual immorality. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's rampant. Yeah, it's terrible. So don't commit lust. Don't have idolatry. We even have a whole month celebrating. And actually, the, the Greek <laughs> word is pornea. Yeah. Where you get porno. Yep. So, so fornication is, 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 is spoken against is one of the 17 works of the flesh. Don't lust, don't be idolaters, don't have idolatry. What is idolatry? Whatever you give your strength to, whatever you get your strength from, don't commit fornication. And then uh, that's three. And then neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Mm. Don't test the Lord. Yeah, don't test you know, the Lord. This is an, an easy example to give. Some people discover the Shabbat and then they want to quit their job. Yeah. Don't tempt the Lord. You just learned about it. Right. You're going to have to make some changes, some adjustments. I looked at, I worked in a box plant for 15 years, and I was able to get off work in time as I would have to work on Saturday. 
because I had been there for 15 years. It's a union job in charge of all the printing that goes in the boxes, a, a, a box plant. And uh, I would be able to get off in time to go to the service. And then once, of course, um, God put me into full-time ministry, I was able to keep the Sabbath fully. But, you know, sometimes we have to wait on the Lord and let things happen because it says if you don't provide for your family, yeah. you're an infidel. Yeah. So you got to be careful. that you, you, It's like, oh, we got to move to Israel. The people just move to Israel. And it spits them and out. it spits them out yeah. and they end up back. Right. So, so once again, don't lust, don't do idolatry, don't have fornication, don't tempt the Lord. This is the last one, Ryan. This is not good. Because you're like, ah, I'm doing pretty good. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, the fifth and final test, Oof. neither murmur ye, Ooh. as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Oof. So murmuring brings devils. Yep. You know, whenever we got along, we were doing our vacation, it was great. Whenever we heard started hearing murmuring, we had to shut it down because it ruins it for everybody. Yeah, it does. Just one person just goes south on me. And I'm like, come on. You know, somebody's pouting in the back. Come on. You know. And which name is it that means destroyer? Somebody's name in, in numbers. I'm not is sure. Is it Balaam or Balak? I'm not sure. One Balak of the, the destroyer? I believe. So now it says, now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Yeah. Now I look at this word, because once again, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured. I looked this up, and this word is gaguzzo. Huh. Gaguzzo. It's, it's number... One, 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 one in the Greek, it's gaguzo. It simply means to grumble. Yeah. So God sent fiery serpents among the people to and they bit the people. Many of them died. Uh, the people repented to Moses. And then, of course, the Lord told Moses to make a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. Those that looked upon it and were bitten would live. So this is a symbol of the medical symbol, right? Yes, it Pretty is. Much. It's a medical symbol. Today, pole even and today, the snakes. You know, it's interesting that uh, I got the chance to go to Mount Nebo, and they have a a, a symbol of this up there. Huge right, right, metal. right. Yep. I've been on, I've been to Mount Nebo, you know, so that's where Moses could see the Promised Land, but then the Lord took him. Yeah. You know, I kind of had a tear, you know, because yeah. I've been to the Promised Land, but he didn't. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, he shows up in the New Testament on the Mount of Transfiguration. So anyway, um, so I've got a little thing here about this fiery serpent, right? Oh. So I know the fiery serpent we're going to get to here in just a second represents Yeshua. But I think a lot of people have the same thought I do, that this is, you know, one of those commands that God makes where you're, like, trying to figure it out. Well, God, we're not supposed to make graven images, and we're not supposed to do that sort of thing, but yet, you know, you have them create cherubs to put on the mercy seat, and here you say, hey, make a brazen serpent, put it up on a pole, and then when they look at it, they're going to live, right? Right. And so the people, unfortunately— twist everything into some way, shape, or form, and they end up doing things they're not supposed to do with it. And so here I have a reference in 2 Kings chapter 18, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. And this is uh, when Hezekiah comes to power. It says here, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of, Hoshe, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And so you have the king of Israel and you have the king of Judah referenced here. And so... Uh, twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His, mo his mother's name uh, also was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. So this is a good thing, right? Hezekiah was a good king. 
in verse 4, it says, He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. And uh, here in uh, Nehushtan, I mean statues. It means, yeah, wooden so images. So this symbol they were worshiping. Yes. So, so it was no longer a memorial. Nope. Nope. It was they a were burning incense to it. Of contact. And even gave it like a, you know, a godlike characteristic or whatever so he actually tore it down um this this uh brazen serpent that was up on the mount there uh as part of his you know faithful execution of what god had called him to do you know and this was king hezekiah that had done that so um you know i think it's it's there's a lot of things in life that we can turn into idols even things that god has provided for us as a provision Right? He provides us money, he provides us cars, houses, he provides us children and spouses, he provides us positions, he provides us jobs. There's so many things that God gives us for our good. But then we sometimes have a tendency to twist and take the things that God has provided for us, and rather than worship the Creator, we end up worshiping the creation itself. And that's never a recipe for good. Right? It just never is. That brings to my mind... Just thinking about what you just said. You know, when we went to Washington, D.C., I didn't see anybody worshiping at the monuments. No, no, I didn't no. see candles. No, yeah. I didn't see people bowing. Nothing like that. But I do want to bring something up. Okay. Which I thought was very interesting. And I want to bring this up because it's relevant. I thought it was very interesting. Uh, scrolling down here. And it kind of caught my eye. I said, oh, I got I to gotta do something with this. I really do. Um, if it's a picture, you can send it to me and I'll... Yeah, well, let's see here. Put it on there. Okay. <clears throat> now, this is interesting. And, and you should know this. Most yeah. people will know this. Maybe not. Maybe. So, these monuments are pretty cool. Like the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So, he's sitting in this chair and he's got his coat on and everything. Right above him, this is what the inscription is. And I thought, wow, they ruined this thing now. Yeah. In this temple, as in the hearts of the people for whom he saved the union, the memory of Abraham Lincoln is enshrined forever. But they had to put in this temple. Yeah. In the memorial. As you go up the steps. Yeah. Right above his head. I don't know if we can get that on the camera. I can. I'll, here's what I'll do. I'll take it from here and I'll go like this. Bing. And they're going to see it. You see that? Okay, let's do that. And then I can take it down. I can be like, whoop. Oh, yeah, put it up and then bring it down. And then I can They'll bring it like down. that. Yeah. But I thought, wow, he wouldn't want this. No. You know, there's, a, there's actually a statue of George Washington sitting like Zeus in a museum. Yeah. Because he had it out in public and people just had an uproar. Right. Says, listen, he's not a god. He's not Zeus. He's a forefather. Right. He's a patriarch. Well, and, and I think, again, there's a place for memorials. Like, there's stones of remembrance that are left throughout the land um, and things that God had commanded. Hey, set up this, set up that. But... I think a memorial has a place. I think the problem is when, um, you know, we, we create these memorials and then we end up worshiping them in some way, shape or form, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, the, the Lincoln Memorial, again, like you said, I don't see ever anybody no. worshiping it, but it begs the question, why did the people that made it put an inscription that says in this temple, you know? And 
No you graven know, images. Well, and, and, and maybe the word to them meant something different than us. We can try to you know, give them the benefit of the doubt in that way, but I, I doubt it. So let's, 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 let's go ahead and read, Ryan, if you can. Uh, John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I would Ryan. be glad to. It says it right here. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. So how was looking up and seeing Yeshua on the cross changed your life? Well, you know, I believed in God, but I became born again. Um, you know, so the thing is, if you stop and look at the first rebellion, it was it was Satan, serpents. Yeah, yeah. So now we That's all right. we we say, do you want to be like the serpents, or do you want to be with me? Yeah. You know, it's a choice. Interesting, yeah. It's a choice. Do you want to be a serpent? Or, and, and, you know, this one woman told me one time. I thought this was quite fascinating. She said, you know, the serpent is is actually the connotation is like a fiery serpent. Yeah. It is. It's like a it's it's like a lizard. It's like just, a dragon. It just creeps me out, that's all I can say. Seraphim, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. But I'm just saying that these particular beings just kinda of creep me out. But um anyway, she was saying that if you'll notice that the curse of the snake is that he would crawl on, on his, the ground on his belly and eat the dust of the earth. Yeah. But she brought out a good point that throughout the ages this thing grows into a dragon. Right. And revelation from well, eating all of mankind and man is and the lies. Well, think about it. man is dust, right? From dust so you he's come. The father of iniquity, and to dust you shall return. The father of pride. Yep. So Yeshua being lifted up. Amen. You know the cool thing about what what Jesus did to me is like he kept the protocol. He gave his body. Yeah. He shed his blood. Yep. I mean, they beat him. He bled. He really did. He bled. Yeah. So he wasn't like a human sacrifice. He suffered, died, and was buried. Right. He wasn't thrown on the altar. No, he wasn't. And no blasphemers, they burn. They burn on the altar. They, they burn them up. They, they, they put a fire pit on an altar, but a fire pit. And if anybody accused of blasphemy is supposedly supposed to be burnt up. Burned, yeah. Remember, uh, Judy yelled at Tamar, let her be burned, you know, yeah, yeah, for yeah. blasphemy or whatever to a certain degree. But they never took his body and did that because no. he they didn't break his legs. No. So the thing that I appreciate about God is he keeps protocol. Yeah. He doesn't even break his own protocol. Right. So that, that's quite fascinating. You know, for me, um, I would say that Jesus on the cross changed everything. Um, you know, I don't know about everyone else um, listening to this, but I haven't always made amazing decisions. I've been boneheaded in the past. And um, without what Jesus did for me personally, um, you know, I wouldn't have the hope that I have today. I have hope for not just the future of this life, but the future of eternity because of the way that he made, right? That's right. And all I can say is whatever path he's on, that's the one I want to be on. I want to be following it's him. It's a person. It is, absolutely. We worship, you know, here we are going over the teachings, but we worship the well, teachings. It's so funny, you know, keeping the main thing the main thing. People talk about the gospel as being the main thing, and I try to correct people all the time. It's like, no. The gospel is the good news about the main thing, because the main thing is a person. The main right. thing is alive That's right. and living today and interacting with us and, and doing things in our lives, even even to this day. So You know, we have greater victories when we're obedient, Ryan. Oh, yeah. And so check this out. When King Sion of the Amorites would not let the children of Israel pass through peacefully, he waged a war against them and was utterly defeated. Boom. And then Israel possessed his land from Arnon unto Jebek, even unto the children of Ammon. So they're on the east side right? 
Moving on up. That's it. They're on the east side to of the Jordan the east River. Side. Yep. On the plains of Moab here. Yep. And the king Og of Bashan was the next king that Israel defeated in battle. They, they tried to make peace with him. Yeah. But didn't work. They came no. out at him. So where did Israel camp after defeating the king of Bashan? So after they defeated Og, they uh, camped in the plains of Moab on the sides of Jordan by Jericho. So okay. we're, they're primed there and ready is. to go, baby. It's, so here it it's is. almost here there. It is. We're going to be going into part three next week, Ryan. This is at Moab, at the gate to the land, new problems, final preparations, concluding tasks, a few months take place, and we're going to see the mountain of Mount Nebo in effect. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was getting into the Jerusalem Post app, pick it on your phone and get, the, get all the news stories. It's kind of interesting. Right. But they're really talking about Israel has to have some better ties with the country of Jordan because we know that's where Petra is. Supposedly, a lot of the... Israelites are going to flee to Petra and be saved for the Antichrist, yeah. supposedly, um, which is a really interesting place. Only one place in, one place out. Yeah. You know, I saw that narrow way, you know. Yeah. Indiana Jones, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, I've, the, I've been to Petra. What is it? The, something of the Crescent Moon? Oh, the... it's very, very interesting, uh, to say the least. So it, here it is, Ryan. We have a battle to, that's going on. We have to learn how to fight. So this is the east side of the Promised Land. And so... You know, remember this, after a great battle with a victory, never let your guard down. Because we're going to go into this. Interesting. So we get yeah. something good happen. We win this one battle, but then boom. And we then let you take a rest. Down. Yeah, you take a rest. And yeah. then all of a sudden yeah. things happen. So what are your thoughts on, on this? And then we'll go over the consensus. Um, Our my, personal consensus. My thoughts on my consensus or? on uh, Up to this point. Do you have any other thoughts that you'd like to share? Uh, no. No, I think I'm ready for my consensus. So what two lessons can be learned from the Torah portion of Kukot ordinance of in Numbers chapter 19 and verse 1 all the way through chapter 22 in verse 1 from a consensus of Ryan? So my first one was, as a leader, misrepresenting God is dangerous, right? Um, when you allow yourself to have the Ooh. mantle of leadership in the community of God, the things of God... Um, you know, that's a big responsibility to not do things in a manner that will misrepresent God. Amen. Um, the second thing that I got, and this was actually from Mr. Jeff Calder last night. I really liked what he said. Right. And so what he said is he's talking about the, the serpent and, you know, things like that. And he said that they're still looking at God as a resource and not as the source. Good point. Because he's the source of all resources. Right. Um, but they're looking at him as a resource, which is why when they would complain, they'd be complaining, oh, there's no water, or oh, I don't like this bread, or yada, yada, all the things that they murmured and complained about. Oh, you want to kill us in the wilderness? Because they're looking at God as a resource, as like a, uh, hey, put the tokens in, pull the thing, push the button, and it pops out, you know, whatever, a little vending machine. But that's not what God is. God is the source of all life, of all creation, all goodness. He's the source. He's not a resource, right? And so I really liked what Jeff said last like night. Like when people run to God when they're in trouble. Right. You know, for me... He accepts them, but... You know, it's interesting, in you mercy. know... It's interesting that in a situation where I'm close to God and like a calamity happens... Yeah. It's easier oh. to get through it. Oh, yeah. You know, I was doing mikvahs at the mikvah pool at the Bowman's and a storm hit, a microburst storm, two storms collided and did some great damage. The tree fell, you know on part of my house yeah and mike had got out of the room but the drywall fell on him and he dumped out in the hallway the branch was like six inches from the bunk bed 
Not that he was there, but he was yeah. near there, looking out the window, and the tree was coming down. He started running. Wow. But here I was at the mikvah pool doing a good work. Yeah. And then a calamity happens. Yeah. The enemy just wants you to know he's there. Well, you know, and then, of course, you know, the interesting thing was, you know, and then, of course, while we were out of our home, my wife has a miscarriage. Ugh. So it's like, you know, these things happen, but see, I'm near to God. Yeah. So I don't understand. You know, I bought a 15-passenger van. Right. Yes. And I got plenty of room. Yeah. So I'm only saying this because, you know, uh, it's important that, um, you know, my, my two things is, number one, murmuring will get you nowhere. That's true. Now, I wanted to bring up the thing about anger, but that's just too easy for me. It's too relevant for me. Yeah. But number two is this, and this is the thing the Lord's been showing me. We have to win our battles where we currently live. Before we can do battle in the promised land. Come on, somebody. If you can't That's fight here, yeah. you can't fight there. Or if you can't win here. We have to win. win. there. Yeah. So that's my thought. That's it. Wow. Good to go. You know, there's a lot in this tour portion. I mean, we went from the ashes of the red heifer to the death of Miriam, right? To Moses and Aaron strike the rock and then don't get to go into the promised land to the death of Aaron. And then to fiery serpents attacking the people, the brazen serpent. Uh, all the way through to winning a battle just out, winning multiple battles just outside the We're in part three now. This is it. And now we're queued up at Jericho. Balak and Balaam. It's going to be the Holy Spirit versus the occult. So a little uh, announcement, a little uh, promo thing here. Uh, the two things, Ryan, that we're dealing with today in our culture all over the world is the occult, sexual immorality. That's right. It's bad. It's very bad. So if you're dealing with any of those things, dabbling in the occult or sexual immorality, get help, get counseling, get prayer, do something. I'll tell you what, we have a book here yeah. in our resources, uh, Lust Free Living by Doug Weiss. Um, I Lust Free Living by Doug Weiss. It's a cool, it's got, it's got Doug Weiss. tricks that the enemy uses and tips. Very good resource, Little Dr. 50. Douglas Weiss. Yep. Good yeah. little resource. So uh, Doug Weiss's stuff is actually a pretty good resource Lust in general. Living. It's just right in your face. Boom. It is. So it's a good cool. It's a good little book. So I recommend that to folks. And uh Wow. So look, hey, hit the subscribe button, do all that stuff. Email me if you have questions, ryan at twopraise.net, ryan at twopraise.net. Bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week.